Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome in, Hornets fans, on episode 94 of Buzz Beat. We're going to be breaking down the Bucks game from Saturday night, the potential 1-8 matchup with Milwaukee in the playoffs, as well as MJ's role with Mitch Kupchak compared to that of Rich Cho. And then Brian is going to give you some prospects to look for as we approach the NCAA tournament. Before we dive into the episode, just want to remind you all that we are a member of the Blue Wire Network, and you can visit the website at bluewirepods.com for more content. We'd also appreciate it if you can give us a rating and review on iTunes. It does go a long way. I'm going to put an arbitrary number out there, but if we can get to 75 reviews on iTunes, uh, we will do a giveaway with some BuzzBeat gear. For this episode, I'm going to be joined by Brian uh, and BG. I hope you're doing all right. First off, let the listeners know why you guys are in town, uh, Sports Channel 8, why you're in town this week. Also, tell them what's taking place tonight, Monday night, as the Hornets take on the Rockets. Yeah, we got a whole bunch of things going on here. So yeah, I'm headed. To, I'm in Charlotte now for the uh, the ACC tournament. I'll be here all week, uh, Monday through Sunday, which is really exciting. Um, I'm going to be doing all kinds of coverage for for my day job at ACCSports.com. I'm going to be doing a little bit of play by play work. Not part of me, not play by play, but color commentary work for the the Tuesday night game, which is going to be Georgia Tech, Boston College. That's going to be on the radio here on 99 The Fan in the Triangle. And, um, yeah, of course, there's going to be some good Sports Channel 8 stuff, too. Uh, we're going to be doing live Periscope shows after the games Thursday night and Friday night from the Carolina Ale House uh, in nice. Charlotte, right right by uh, Spectrum Center. And then Saturday, 10 to noon, we're going to be doing the normal Sports Channel 8 radio show. Again, we're doing that live from the Carolina Ale House. Uh, it's going to be like a normal show, but, you know, with a heavy ACC tournament theme. And then Saturday night, that again, back later that day, from 5.30 to 7.30, leading you into the ACC championship, we will be doing a pregame show that's going to be on the buzz here in the Triangle. All Again, that will be from, and that's 99.3 here in Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill. That, again, will be from the Carolina Ale House. Some other stuff where are the the Airbnb that Sports Channel 8 has rented for the week is going to be very close to a, a trolley stop in Charlotte. So we're going to be doing Periscope hits. We're going to be doing some trolley talk on the way into uh, Spectrum Center, which should be fun. And yeah, look, the ACC tournament's a great event. There's going to be some really good players. Uh, you know, a lot of future NBA guys on display, and the semifinals are set up to be really, really fun Friday night. You, you know, good chance you see a Duke-UNC part three. You know, Zion Williamson going to play in that game. Plus Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech or Virginia and Florida State would be another fun uh, semifinal too. So, no, th- it, it's going to be a busy, busy week. I'm going to be low on sleep and, uh, you know, <laughs> indulging in a, probably a surplus of caffeine. But should be fun. And, of course, tonight – uh, you can come meet the BuzzBeat crew. Uh, we'll be at Ed's Tavern 
at uh, 2200 Park Road in Charlotte. Game tips at 8 p.m. I'm sure we'll be there a little bit before that. Right. Come meet the crew. Uh, you know, we can have a beer. Maybe I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> and we can watch the, the Rockets take on the Hornets. I think some of the Sports Channel 8 guys might be there as well. So, anyways, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, and yeah, we can hang out before the ACC tournament gets started. We can hang out watch some Hornets ball. Richie, it's exciting because um, this will be the first time that the three of us, you, Spencer, and I, have ever been able to hang out at the same time in person as opposed to these these Periscope, or pardon me, these uh, Skype sessions here. Exactly, exactly. I, we've all met individually on separate bases. Like, I've met you one time, you've met Spencer, I've met Spencer, but all three of us have never been in the same place at the same time. Uh, but right. that is taking place tonight at Ed's Tavern as the Hornets take on the Rockets. It sounds like your week is extremely busy. Uh, yes. with, with, you know, Sports Channel 8, ACC Sports, uh, and then, you know, you're meeting us at Ed's Tavern. So that's going to be awesome to, to watch this game together. But it's, it's interesting, guys. You know, listeners probably don't know this, but we've actually never met in person, all three of us. So that's <laughs> yeah. Come witness Overdue. history. Come witness yeah. history. Overdue. Yeah, yeah, so that's, again, 8 p.m., Ed's Tavern, Monday night, Hornets vs. Rockets. Spencer will be buying you beers. I might buy you a beer. And come meet the Busby crew and, and perhaps some of the uh, the Sports Channel Eight guys as well too. So let's uh, let's get into the game. Uh, the Hornets lost to the Bucks in Milwaukee, one fourteen, one thirty one, on Saturday night, dropping the Hornets' overall record to thirty and thirty six. So um, attaining that five hundred record by the end of the year is not going to happen. <laughs> the Hornets, <laughs> the Hornets built an early fourteen point lead, uh, kept it close with the Bucks until about the fourth quarter. Uh, the Bucks used Giannis and Lopez's inside scoring, and they combined for 51 points to propel them to this victory. And even with an off night from Middleton, the Hornets still lost, uh, despite efforts from Walker, from Kaminsky, from Miles Bridges. So the first thing that I wanted to note, Brian, there's a lot to get to in this game. Um, good, some bad. Is the, <laughs> bu- the Bucks defense, man? I think that gets overlooked with this team. You know, their, their offense, you think of their offense with uh, their shooters that they have and Giannis, who's an MVP candidate. But on defense, man, they got tons of length, tons of athleticism. Mm-hmm. They they clog up spaces real quickly. You think there's a lane, and they clog it up with their length. They make it very difficult to get off open looks. And I thought a lot of times during this game, the Hornets would drive. They would think that they would have a shot or an open look. They'd leave their feet, and then they have to change their mind uh, mid-decision in air and make mm-hmm. a pass across the court and they turn the ball over so and especially in the first half I noticed this too I don't know if this was like a game plan in terms of trying to prevent this but the Hornets used Batum a ton as the facilitator and they mm-hmm. moved Kimba off the ball so I'm assuming they maybe they're trying to avoid maybe Bledsoe disrupting the I guess the initiation of the offense with uh, mm-hmm. Kimba off ball we saw that more in the first half than the second half but what are your thoughts, uh, Brian, on this Bucks defense, and does it get overlooked by kind of like how they've changed the game offensively? I think if you're paying attention, you you, you shouldn't overlook it. Like they they literally lead the league in defensive right. efficiency. Right. They lead the NBA in opponent effective shooting. They lead the league in defensive rebound rate, and they lead the league in free throw rate defensively. Like this is an amazing defense, and I think it's getting better because, as you noted. We all know about the length, and Bledsoe is an amazing point-of-attack defender. He's been a total bulldog this year. Giannis, as a help-side guy with his length, I mean, he just blows pick-and-rolls up. He gets in passing lanes. He's incredible. And they have all these long wings, Tony Snell, Chris Middleton. like all. They just don't have any real weak links defensively. Ilya Sova is great at taking charges. 
uh, Brooke Lopez is a, is a phenomenal shot blocker. And it's just like, despite his size is so active. I thought he was, I thought he was really good. Like it's look, there's some stuff they're going to give up by playing that predominantly that drop scheme that, that Budenholzer is known for. But man, I mean, he, if you're anywhere in the paint, like he's going to contest your shot. He gets, he doesn't ever get knocked out of the play. You know, like I think you could see it when you, when we would watch Dwight Howard last year, similar defensive center, right? Drop center. But you could screen Dwight out of a play. You can't really do that with Lopez. Like, he's going to try to get back and contest a shot. And he did a, a nice job a couple times like that uh, on some of these. I tweeted a couple of these plays out on, on Sunday where the Hornets tried to, to set, like, a double screen with him on the ball by using Kemba and Devontae Graham to set, like, a second back screen. And either he didn't get screened or if he got screened twice, he'd still get back to the, the hoop and contest the shot. And Kaminsky missed a layup in part because Lopez, after getting picked twice, got back and, and tried to block the shot. Um, and I think they're showing off some nice versatility, too. We saw this before they picked up uh, Miritich at the, the trade deadline, but DJ Wilson, the second-year pro, after basically not playing at all um, his, for his rookie year out of Michigan, he's become he's a wonderful defensive player. He, that guy, and he, he barely, he can basically can't even get on the court. But you saw when once they knocked Thonmaker out of the rotation, they basically started playing DJ Wilson and Ilyasova as their backup fives or, or backup fours with Giannis as the five. And all of a sudden, they can get way more athletic. They can get switchy. And you're seeing that with Miritich now, too, where the Bucks went to Miritich and Giannis as the four five last night. And yeah, the Hornets scored 1.2 points per possession in the five minutes with that crew out there. But the Bucks also scored 1.9 points per possession. And I believe with that pairing, the Bucks were plus nine in five minutes. So yeah, you're seeing like that's a look. And it's look. It's not easy to do these things on the fly in the middle of the season, especially when they've been they've been coached all season to drop. But as they're probably looking ahead to a potential finals matchup with Golden State, they know how important it will be to to be able to switch when Golden State goes small and puts. Durant and Draymond at the at the four five. Well, hey, they've got Miritich and, and they have they have Giannis. And you could see them toying with this ability to, to to switch more heavily. So that defense is already really, really good. And I think it's gaining another edge for the playoffs. And this team is freaking scary come yeah. come postseason time because they just got so many dudes. No one's really a weak league defensively. They're all long. They've got multiple shot blockers. Um, and they're just buying in and, and playing really, really hard. It, it's 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 a fun defense to watch. And yeah, if if you are overlooking the defense, it's a little bit on your fault. But I would almost understand too because offensively, like that, it's they've been all the rage this year with Giannis yeah. and how they're how they're chucking threes and stuff like that. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I think yeah, like if you're paying attention, you shouldn't overlook this team. But I think that the initial thought when you think of the Bucks is Giannis driving and the shooters that are surrounded and just, you yep. know, Budenholzer just doing a great job of just kind of switching up the game plan with this Bucks team because you you normally didn't have these shooters around Giannis and now they do. And so they're changing the game offensively and, and how tough it is to defend Giannis. And, and Marvin does his best, and I think he had a pretty solid game uh, defending him. But again, it, it, there's just so many weapons that surround Giannis and it's your pick your, pick your poison type of deal with this team. With that drop scheme, uh, only 30% of opponent field goal attempts have come at the rim. That's number one in the NBA this year against Milwaukee. And opponents are shooting under 57% on those, which is also 
um, number one in the NBA. This couple, this was a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. Zach Lowe was talking about this on his podcast. Like the Bucks are giving up threes, right? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. in recent history, the the one of the notions has sort of been, look, you can't build an elite defense if you give up threes, right? You just can't. That that's that's the backbreaker. Well. There was already some sort of conflicting opinions with that inside of the NBA. This is what Lowe talked about on his podcast. And the Bucks seem to sort of be like proving that right now. That if if you if you give up, if you, you can give up some threes, if you're airtight at the rim, and if you are also still flying out and trying to contest these threes too, and still forcing teams into taking um a lot of mid-range shots, which is what's also happening with the Bucks too. Like the teams are still taking their, I think, number four or five and uh, frequency in terms of uh, volume of mid-range attempts against them. So they're still forcing teams into these shots that are not mathematically great for them, too. This is just It's just really impressive. But yeah. they've, they've locked down the rim with Lopez and Giannis. So I want to switch it to the defense on the Hornets end. They're, they're on the opposite end of the spectrum here. They, they on the other hand, yep. uh, got to do a lot of things right uh, to stay in the game defensively. So there's two things I kind of want to note. First, uh, defensively, Lamb this year. I thought he has... And I made a note of this on Twitter. I think he's regressed, and I know that's kind of weird to say about Lamb, who's not known as a defender. I think he has regressed this year as a defender. I did post two highlights on Twitter with Lamb's closeouts. And and Spencer thinks otherwise. He thinks it's a coach instruction to kind of run these shooters off the line and, and force that backside help, which mm-hmm. could very well be the case. I don't think we know for sure. But my my thing is that this has happened so often with Lamb you don't know if it's actual coach instruction or if it's him just not being able to close out properly. Yeah. And one thing I can't understand, if that is coach instruction, if that is James Borrego saying, hey, let's run these shooters off the line, I don't understand why putting yourself in scramble mode against the Bucks is a good thing. Like, that's that to me is a bad thing. Like, I, you, yes, you want to close out the shooters. You want to try to get them off the line. But you still got to try to stay in front of them. Like you, you're, it's not just one of those things where, hey, you you go by me, so you're not taking a three. But mm-hmm. you put everyone else in scramble mode, and I, I think that's the biggest thing with this Bucks team is they work outside in. Yes, they take a ton of threes, but they're able to take a lot of threes is because you have Giannis who's closing in and collapsing the defense and putting teams in scramble mode, and then the passes go outside uh, to loosen up the defense a little bit. But the, the second thing defensively, Frank Kaminsky had a great game, um, especially from deep, but in the third quarter, without Giannis, they had Lopez on the court, and they kept feeding him in the post in the third quarter. Brooke was only one for five from behind the arc, uh, but he didn't miss in the paint this game. And so Frank playing the five up against Lopez, it was a mismatch. So th- those two players right there clearly have shown the inability to defend. Yeah, the uh, it, I I I tweeted this at you uh, before we hopped on this morning, but it was like I, I was laughing. I made a note of it last night in the third quarter. Uh, the, the Bucks ran one of these little decoy plays where they 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 faked like they were setting up post up action for Middleton on the on the near block. And weak side, they were having Lopez pin set a pin down for for Miritich, and so it was like a, a sort of a dummy action and to get Miritich a wide open catch and shoot three. And he was. He was bombing last night, by the way, too. That dude is awesome. I know he hasn't hit great since he got to Milwaukee, but last night you're sort of you're, you're seeing what he's going to become for them. And it was Lopez, who was being guarded by Kaminsky, screened on Lamb, who was covering Miritich, and it was just every bad bench defensive lineup that the Hornets had over the last two seasons 
with with those two guys when Clifford was coaching the team, it was just I, I was having like PTSD level flashbacks to to just that that has always been a recipe for success. If those two two guys are off the ball on the weak side, have one of the have one of those guys, you know, if Kaminsky's guarding one guy, have that dude screen for the guy that that Lamb is guarding, or it, the inverse uh-huh. works too. And that uh-huh. will always someone is always going to be open for a dunker at three. We've literally talked about. You can go back to podcasts from like 13 months ago, and you can find us, you know, yelling about this. You know, it should be noted Lamb has been dealing with a hamstring injury, left hamstring, and it was it, it, that was reportedly as of Saturday afternoon was sore. He played through that last night, which which was good to see. His defensive RPM numbers this year a little bit below average, uh, you know, in the negative, not by a ton, but that's one of those things. Like if you watch him, you know he's not a stopper, and he's spacey off the ball, and and those closeouts have been have been an issue. He's he's right. long. Occasionally he can get in and block a shot or, or steal a pass or whatever. For the most part. Um, you know, he's just not, he is just a below average He just looks like defender. a player that would be a and, better defender. You know what I mean? Like, if you just look at him. Yeah, no, I, I know, I know. And and I thought offensively he did some nice things last night playing out of the corner. That, that, that worked a couple, like, probably four or five times for the Hornets. But Charlotte down to 21st in defensive efficiency now, which is basically where they've been for a couple weeks. Um, over 112 points per 100 possessions. Um, yeah, they're hanging out with some... Some bad company down there uh, in the bottom third of the the NBA, and they just can't. It's just it's just too low. It's it's too much. But they don't have enough uh, enough stoppers on the wing. Zeller is a very good. Def- I just really think this team only has two plus defenders, and that's Zeller and and MKG. And even then, MKG's defense is, has probably regressed a little bit uh, the last year or so. Cody's very good, right? Like he's a very good he's a very good defensive center. Frank Kaminsky is a, a bad defensive center, and you sort of got to if, if he can if he can score like he was last night, like he has in the last couple of games. You live with that, like that 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 is the future for Frank Kaminsky, right? As a guy that comes off the bench, plays 20, 25 minutes at the five, you know that that's like this is like the optimistic expectation. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't think I don't think he can quite produce this every night over the course of an eighty-two game season. But even then, you still got to live with these the defensive limitations that, that come with, uh, with Kaminsky. And then, you know, you're playing guys like miles bridges a lot. And we all like bridges. We think he has some defensive upside, but he, he checks in and out defensively. Especially I, off I ball. think Kemba in, in, in absolutely off ball. And I think Kemba, it's not fair to really judge him and critique him too much for his defense because he's asked to do so much offensively. And in terms of, how many minutes he's asked to play too, but yeah, his defense is, hasn't been very good this year. And, and you're just counting, you're relying so much on Nick Batum defensively and, and you're relying on, I guess Marvin has been yeah. okay defensively this year too, but it's just, it's just not enough. It's a lot of pieces, pieces that don't fit together. And, you know, you can try the switching scheme, but you're also going to get banged on the, uh, the offensive well, on the glass, which once again, last night they were too. So let's uh, let's kind of wrap this up by maybe adding a positive from this game because I felt like we were a little bit negative. I, I mean, I thought the Hornets stayed with the Bucks. All, you know, all things considering, this this was the best team in the NBA. They're a very good home team. I think they're the best home team in the NBA. Um, and and we've yeah. we were up fourteen at one point. So I, I think there are some positives to point at. I think that one player that I do want to talk about real quickly. I thought Miles Bridges had an underrated game. 
Um, I think, you know, for having 15.6 rebounds uh, in 26 minutes of play, I, I still thought it was kind of overlooked. Uh, he cons- continues to show life, kind of, you know, beating people off the dribble, off closeouts, finishing with mm-hmm. both hands around the rim, even in traffic. Um, and he also had a putback dunk over Giannis, which was which was nice to see. So, what do you, I mean, what are your thoughts quickly on Bridges, maybe in this game, or just kind of how he's progressed throughout the season? I know that he's definitely had his downs this season, yeah. but, you know, he, he's shown some life. He plays hard every game, right? That's, that's, and that, that's the bare minimum you could ask for. And in terms of production, yeah, maybe that's been a little bit more of a roller coaster, but he plays hard every night, he tries every night. He's not just playing hard. He's like trying to learn the game as as it's going to. And you can see him. You can see certain stuff clicking into place for him, which has been fun. And the guy's got skills. He's he's not just a leaper. It's been really entertaining to see him get to that uh-huh. right hand on drives. Any basically anything, fifteen feet, ten feet, and in, he he can finish with that right hand. In fact, sometimes it looks like he's more comfortable finishing finishing with that hand. But he had a great game last night. Fifteen points on nine shots. Hit a three. Two offensive rebounds, including the one putback spike over Giannis. Like that's not, not not a lot of guys can do that. Plus, he had two assists. Hornets only minus two with him on the court. They got off to a good start. Like the the best lineups they had in the first half last night were the starters, right? And then when Bridges played with the uh, played with the bench, and yeah, Bridges with two minutes where it was the bench four. So Devonte, Frank, Bacon, Lamb was out there. I thought Lamb um, with was Miles yeah. Bridges. Lamb as well, too. Yeah, they scored 2.33 points per possession uh, in the first half, 1.7 points per possession uh, for the game. They finished with a little bit of a net rating, uh, negative net rating for the game, but that's pretty good production from the bench against the Bucks yeah. in Milwaukee, especially with how they stagger lineups. So sometimes you're going to end up having your bench group against Giannis. You know, they sub him out at the six He's minute like mark of on the first the quarters. quarter. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's it's it, it 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 they've been doing it all season. It it works for them. You see the the Rockets do this with Chris Paul, where they they just want him. They always want Chris in at the end of the quarter because he's the master of the two for one. And I'll say this too: I find it a little fascinating how Houston, especially like last year's Houston team, but now we're starting to see it with the Rockets again this year with the Bucks team. Stylistically, they're so different. You know, Houston is all spread, pick and roll three-point step backs, um, ISO, and the Bucks don't do that, but they're still targeting the same areas, right? Like last night, 90% of the Bucks' field goals were at mm-hmm. the rim or they were threes. They took only nine mid-range shots. They only made two of them, and it was w- only one mid-range shot for most of the game that they had hit. And I just think it's interesting. Like they are, they are targeting the money areas on the court, but at the same time um, – they're just doing it in a different fashion than, than the way Houston does, which is, which to me is really impressive. And one last thing I want to sneak in here about uh, Kemba. He continues to have some really good shooting performances when he gets to go against the Bucks drop coverage. So I looked at this Kemba versus the Bucks this season with Brooke Lopez on the court in 88 minutes, 50 over 57% effective shooting, 49% shooting from the field, 41% shooting on threes. In the minutes with Brooke Lopez off, uh, still shooting high, 40% on threes, but effective shooting drops from 57% down to 44%. So I think that's why you saw at the end of the first half, even before Milwaukee subbed Miritich in for Lopez and went small, they were fearless putting Eric Bledsoe on Frank Kaminsky in the post, and they switched Lopez on to Kemba just to say, 
hey, you might be, you can take this guy off the dribble, but at least you're not going to be able to to sprint yeah. into a floater, you know, or you're not you're not going to be able to walk into a three pointer, which is some of the good action that he got. He was five of seven shooting in the first quarter, and that that was the type of that was the variety of scoring right. he was he was getting. Um, so I, I thought that was a, a neat little wrinkle, and and that also sort of does show you the, the limitations of Kaminsky as well, which is. The Bucks can feel comfortable putting a six foot. I know Bledsoe's built like a tank. Like they can feel very safe putting a guy like him on Kaminsky too. There was one play I can't remember. It might have been the second quarter where Kemba did have Brook Lopez out on the perimeter, and both Batum and Kaminsky were like, you know, hey, give Kaminsky the ball in the post. Immediately yep. when he touches it, Bledsoe steals it. It might have been a foul, but still, the yep. toughness yep. that Kaminsky lacks yep. is clearly shown on that play. So. You yep. and I, you and I are thinking about the exact same play, by the way. Yep. Like the, the literally the exact same play. And I was thinking about that, and then like seconds later, Del Curry's like, uh, "Yeah, Kimball, you probably should have uh, taken Lopez one on one. That would have been the better." Yeah, yeah, prob, prob, probably. It's just, it's funny. It's like you can, like that is obvious. Kimball versus Lopez is the more exploitable matchup. It is a little funny, and it goes to show you a the limitations of Frank, but also just like where we are in basketball now, where it's like. Yeah, you'd rather have your six foot guy going against their seven foot guy twenty feet from the basket than you would have your seven foot guy going against their six foot guy, you know, ten feet and in from the from from the basket. And I would also like to say one last note too. Again, we all agree Kaminsky had a good game, but they the the Bucks when they ran away from the Hornets in this game, it was in that third quarter. They played straight bully ball. Uh, Giannis or Giannis one and two on post ups. Lopez, three of three on post-ups, and all three of those post-up makes were right-handed hook shots over Frank Kaminsky. So, I mean, that just it is what it is. So we're going to wrap up, uh, and on the other side of the break, we're actually going to talk quickly about how we think we would fare against the Bucks if we did sneak into the playoffs. But let's take a quick break real quick uh, to give you guys a little bit of announcement. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure you guys are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set. This value trial set includes a five-blade razor, shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's has bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you guys go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, Brian, tell them about how they can get in with this NCAA tournament with my bookie. Yeah, sounds good. All right, you guys, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, uh, predicting first-round upsets, or all of the above, my bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Well, Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title. Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? I'm sure Spencer hopes so. And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, my bookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. 
MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. We're talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you can watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today with the promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. With MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Very nice. Well, let's uh, transition real quickly, like two minutes max. I want to talk about if the Hornets did make the playoffs, they snuck in somehow, clearly they'd be going up against this Bucks team. Um, I think they've played them well this season. A lot of the games have been close, despite the head-to-head record. I think it's, what is it, one and three, one and two? One and three, one and three. They've all been close, close you know, mostly close games. But yeah, one and three with the one win coming in Charlotte. And at points... You know, in these games, Charlotte's have had double-digit leads. So, my question to you: How do you think the Hornets would fare against this Bucks team in the playoffs? Do you think that they would win a game? Do you think they could force six games, or do you think it's just going to be a sweep, BG? Yeah, I, I think I, I would bet sweep. I think the Hornets have the possibility if they're at full health, and, and they certainly miss Tony Parker Saturday night. Parker in the one win against the Bucks this year, Parker was huge, right? And I think what's what's the Hornets' record down games without Tony Parker this year? It's got, it's like one in twelve or something like they've really struggled um, without Tony Parker. But that's any guy when they're, when they're absent of the anyone in their top seven, eight, nine rotation. They they just don't have the the margin for error um, against the Bucks this year. 192 minutes. Hornets have scored 105.3 points for 100 possessions. They've allowed 111 points for 100 possessions. A net rating of minus. 5.5. Uh, obviously, they've, they've been a little bit better at home than they have on the road. In the two games in Milwaukee, they've allowed uh, well over 114 points per 100 possessions and have a minus 12 net rating. And that's made a little bit uglier by what they did last night, where Milwaukee really stomped on them, especially in the second half. Look, it'd be one of those things where Kemba, he with his ability – to shoot and to, to pull up shots both from three and from, um, you know, in that, in the mid range area and with lamb's ability to do that too. And with Parker's ability to, to knife into the paint and, and hit from the mid range or get all the way to the rim. Like you could see them having, having one game where, where Kemba and one of those other guys just gets, just gets irrationally hot, you know, likely it would be game three or four in Charlotte probably. But even then, I mean, just Milwaukee's got answers for everything. Like the Hornets had a big double-digit lead last night. They didn't in the game, even in the game they won. They had built a huge lead, and, and Milwaukee came racing back too. Like the Bucks are just deeper. They they've got better players. They're on a mission too. I like. I think this team is just locked in and b- truly believes they can win the championship. And if that's the case, like dude, you don't have time to waste with the Hornets in the first round. You you just you just blow those guys out and you move them out of the way. And um. Should mention too, 538 has the Hornets down to a 15% chance of making the playoffs. The Hornets are projected to finish 36 and 46, which would be very interesting for the, the people out in Vegas. I believe the over/under win total this year was set at 36 and a half. But yeah, no, I don't think the Hornets match up really well. They don't have anyone to guard. But it, it also hurt not having Michael Kidd Gilchrist last night. Yeah. He's probably the best option they have against Giannis. You know, Marvin can try, Bridges can try, but they, they just don't really have the 
they're just not there to be able to do it either. Right. They're limited physically or they're just too too young and green to be able to do it. MKG is sort of the best of, of blending those two. Uh, and obviously, and he's had some. He's done well at times against Giannis this year too on on some possessions I can think of in my head. So having again having the full complement of players would help, but I just don't I just don't see it. The math is so tilted in Milwaukee's favor in terms of how they score and how in terms of how this this is the number to one number two offense with maybe the MVP or the runner up for MVP on the roster and the number one defense. Yeah. And they've got they can go 10, 11 deep. They're bigger, they shoot better, they defend better. They're just there is nothing that the Hornets do that is on the surface better than the Bucks other than maybe avoid turnovers and shoot pull-up threes. So, yeah, again, it goes back to my initial point. Kemba would just have to have one game where he went crazy and scored, you know, 35, 40-plus points and did so efficiently. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, it's hard It's hard to It's hard to see it, see it a game. Right. Like you said, it, it would have to happen in game three or game four, but uh, you made a mention of this in just terms of, like, how they're on a mission. I think they would just kick it into another gear come playoff time. Um, a lot of these games that have been close in the regular season, you got to put that you know into perspective. It is the regular season, and this Bucks team is a good home team, so winning on their court ain't going to happen. Uh, but they're also a good road team, 23-11 and 11 on the road. So uh, picking up game three or four uh, would still be a tough challenge regardless of how we played them this year. I differ a little bit. I, I think Marvin's the better matchup for Giannis than, than MKG, but it's just slightly. I know that he's a little bit older, but that's just a personal yeah. preference. But mm-hmm. If we did make the playoff, my unconventional strategy, and I don't know if it's unconventional, would not be MKG or Marvin guarding Giannis. It would be more using more zones against Milwaukee. I think that people think of zones, you know, kind of using a zone against a team that can shoot the ball or isn't afraid to shoot the ball seems probably unwise or unconventional. But I think the drive and kick game by the Bucks, the inside out game is really their biggest strength. So if you stay disciplined and you don't collapse and you're not having to scramble as much, I personally think that strategy would work a little bit better than people think it would. Um, I mm-hmm. think you'd be better off playing the 2-3 zone if you could stay disciplined and not uh, collapse as much and scramble as much. And just don't allow Giannis to beat you in the middle. I think that's kind of what opens a lot of things up with the Bucks. So I was going to hold off on that strategy if we made the playoffs. But like you said, the the percentages are looking less and less likely that the Hornets actually do make the playoffs. And, and I would agree with those percentages. So let's transition to the Zach Lowe podcast uh, real quickly. We've talked about this before, but he had Kevin Arnovitz on his podcast uh, not too long ago, mainly to discuss Kevin's piece on the Suns front office. But Lowe also brings up another team, an unnamed team. He did not want to name this team, but went on to describe <laughs> this situation and how the owner had his hand in too many decisions and that the GM didn't have that presence didn't have that power to speak up or change his mind. And I think most people can agree that he was hinting at the Charlotte Hornets and MJ's role within some of these transactions. So I know we've discussed this before, but my question to you, Brian, is I know that we don't have all the information, all the info about this situation, but is the blame on MJ for a lot of these bad decisions or does some of the blame need to be on the people in the room as well for not speaking up? Yeah, I mean, that... Part of both. Uh, one of the things, yeah, I mean, it's it's a combination of things, and I mean, ultimately, he, uh, 
it's so for me, it's it's sort of tough to even think about assigning blame because it's like it's just a it's an organizational struggle, you know. And Arnovitz even mentioned this where he was talking conversation he had with the uh, the the late agent Dan Fagan where he was saying, look, part of a GM's job is to be able to convey his message to to the uh, to the to the ownership. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I just wasn't able to happen during the the rich show time in, in Charlotte. So but it's it's a lot of things. It just it it seems like there were too many voices in the room. And I don't know. I You know, I can guess and I can assume who who that response who that responsibility falls on. Um, but it is sort of, it, you know, there are other people that could, out there that can point fingers and stuff like that, too. And, and I'd probably agree with some of that stuff. Who can you suss out and assess blame to? Probably a, a lot of people. Ultimately, though, you know, it, it comes down to one person making the final decision. That's MJ, right? right. And it, again, in a lot of these reports, he is the one that is sort of seen to be the, uh, the obstructionist here. And with the guy that's packing the room with a lot of extra voices, unnecessarily so. If that's the case, then 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 yeah, he he deserves like he is he is worthy of of taking on the lion's share of blame here. Yeah, he's he's definitely the common denominator here, and I think uh, a lot of the decisions that have gone wrong, especially in the drafting department, somehow his name is tied to. And for a team like Charlotte, who's a small market, they have got to be able to hit their draft picks. I think. You know, in the free agency market, it's going to be tough to draw big names or, or players of real impact in the free agency market. But when it comes to drafting, that's where Charlotte has had its worst luck. And you hit it, you know, the nail on the head. MJ seems to be the one that's always, his name is always in there with the mess ups that occur. And I do think, you know, I would say it's probably hard to speak up against MJ, like his presence. Uh, the, he's the greatest player of all time. Right. And he's a billionaire now. Like, like, what are you going to say to him? Right. So I get it. I get it. But uh, now that we have Mitch Kupchak, I'm hoping that his presence might be a little bit bigger than Rich Cho. Nothing against Rich Cho at all. Cho did make some savvy trades. But when it came to drafting, clearly the, the voices that needed to speak up didn't. And uh, that's why we're at where we're at uh, right now. Cho, Cho, Cho's a good GM, and I and I I think he has upside. As I hope, I hope that guy gets another shot to at least be an assistant yeah. GM if he wants it, right? Yeah. And then if that goes well, then maybe he'll get a chance to run another team. He's just the guy's been in the NBA for a long time. He's a super smart, patient, uh, good, like just reasonable human being with a keen eye for a, the majority of aspects that go into being an above average GM. And so, yeah, I think that guy should get. Another shot. I hope hope he does, perhaps with um, an ownership that's a little more laissez-faire. Yeah. So let's Brian. Let's wrap this up uh, with some draft prospect talk. I know we'll have plenty of time to talk about this, especially when yeah. the Hornets are looking like they're not going to make the playoffs. But first off, I was kind of talking to you this before we started recording. I hate the fact that Draft Express is no longer. Uh, that's where I got all my information. Uh, I've actually watched less college basketball this year than I did last year. And last year, I didn't watch a lot. So that's saying something, Brian. But you, on the other hand, you work for accsports.com. Uh, that is your day job. So you do keep up with prospects uh, more than most, more than most, and especially in the ACC tournament, which is happening this week. I'm going to ask you two questions. They're basically the same question, but Two prospects to look out for. First one, someone maybe who's overlooked, someone who doesn't uh, get all the the spotlight, 
but might actually make a bigger name for himself as more eyes are on him uh, in this ACC tournament or maybe even just the NCAA tournament in general. And then maybe a second player who may not be a bad prospect by any means, but just as a tad overrated. And maybe his stock might okay. drop as eyes get on him a little bit more. So uh, okay. go ahead. First, first category here. I think at this point, maybe he's not totally under the radar because everyone has seen Ty Jerome play at this point. But I think people need to sort of understand that this this guy is – he is – if he's not a first-round prospect, he's approaching it. And he could come out and be – you know, the 28th pick, the 25th pick, or, you know, maybe even a little bit earlier than that in the draft this year. This guy's a 6'5 point guard. He's not super long, but he's still pretty big. He he has the ability to be explosive, in, even though he really doesn't play above the play above the rim. He can still get by you, um, although usually he'll need, he'll, he'll need some sort of advantage created for him to do that. I think there's a chance he could struggle with NBA-level closeout defenders, but he does have this floater zone that he can get to, and I've sort of written about that. He shoots a high percentage on floaters, um, and it's one of those things. He doesn't need to get by a guy to sort of score on the drive. Like he can, he, if he can at least get an angle on a guy, he can at in that you know eight feet, nine feet, ten foot radius. He can he can use the glass and he can, he can be a very effective driver of the basket basketball, even if he can't get it all the way to the rim. I don't know if he's a one in the NBA. But at this point, it almost doesn't matter. Like, I think he can be sort of what, honestly, what another Virginia guy, what Malcolm Brogdon is for um, uh-huh. for the Bucks. And look, you know, I don't think Jerome's going to be the finisher at the rim that Brogdon is, where he's he's a total bulldog. But the guy that can play off, you know, can be a secondary creator. And your primary guy doesn't need to be a one in the NBA now anyways. Like, the Bucks, their primary creator is Giannis, right? right. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be point guard every time you just need other guys that can that that have skill and can score from everywhere else on the court jerome absolutely can do that uh the guy is one of the best um shooters from range in all of college basketball half court catch and shoots this season um 74 effective shooting 1.48 points per possession that's in the 98th percentile nationally if you filter in terms of volume he might be number one in the nation I just like this guy's game. I think he's a I think he's a high floor, maybe a little bit lower ceiling, but a high floor player that you put him on the court and your offense is going to get better because he can pass, shoot, and drive like he's exactly what you want in the modern NBA. So now for the uh, the this one's a little bit tougher to to sort of come up with, but the the prospect that I think is that I think is I think at this point everyone's sort of on board with this guy being uh, a little perhaps a little overrated, but I'll say I'll, I think you know you can make a case for someone like Cam Reddish and Nasir Little with Duke at Duke and UNC respectively. I think Reddish is still a top five, top six pick, even though his shooting and his drive game have have been subpar this year, and he's turned the ball over too much. And Nasir Little. He just, you know, the basketball IQ isn't all the way there. And he even had some slip ups against, uh, you know, missing wide open shooters and dribbling into turnovers against Duke yesterday. But I'm going to go a little bit further off the map with Ty's Battle, who's a wing at Syracuse. Um, Battle's a guy that could have come out last year and decided to come back for his junior season. He's a big wing. He's a high usage guy, plays a ton of minutes plays in an offense that really lacks a ton of creativity. So I don't think he shoulders all the blame for an offensive profile that is really, really lacking. But basically like this guy is the king of the long twos. That's all (laughs) this guy does. He just, he seriously, he's, he has taken 189 two point attempts 
um, outside of the rim this year. He shot under 38% on those, and uh, only 14% of his 71 makes have been assisted on. Like, he loves dribbling into contested long twos, and it's it's frustrating to watch him sometimes because he'll he'll just dribble and he'll dribble in to, and put his right or left shoe on the line and, and, you know, take a contested long two. You know, Syracuse is an NCAA tournament team, and perhaps with a run in the ACC tournament and with a run in, in March, maybe Syracuse gets to the Sweet 16 again. And if he shows off that creative offensive game, you know, maybe he can get from being a top 40, top 50 prospect to a little bit higher than that. But it just none of that sort of like frivolous shot creation matters much to me. I think this guy needs to focus in on being a spot up player, a catch and shoot guy. And I think if he does decide to come out up for the draft this year after his junior season, that's something to really watch in the pre-draft process because his isolation dribble drive game, like just no one, it's just not going to ever be a like there are no role players in the NBA, right? Where that's their thing, or at least they aren't good winning role players. So uh, I think he's a guy that's sort of seen his stock fall a little bit over the last couple of years. And um, yeah, we'll see what, we'll see what he does in March. Well, always good stuff, Brian. You you know your stuff when it comes to ACC sports. And like you said, he is going to be doing some uh, color commentary uh, Tuesday night. Yes, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, I will be doing the, 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 the Boston College-Pittsburgh game, which will be great. I'll get to see two other sort of like fringy uh, draft prospects, guys that are in the top 35, top 40, top 50 prospects, and Kai Bowman from Boston College and, and Xavier Johnson the freshman point guard from Pittsburgh. So that'll be fun. But yeah, Tuesday night and maybe even the night game, one of the night games on Wednesday nice. too. Well, very nice. Well, guys, thanks again for tuning into episode 94. Please come visit us at Ed's Tavern tonight if you're in the area versus the Rockets. Uh, we can watch the game together, have a beer. I have some stickers to give away and you guys get to meet the host uh, of the podcast in person. So for Brian, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time.